Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. Good morning. This is the 3CR Spoken Word Program. My name is Di Cousins and today um, I'm speaking to Chris Wallace-Crabb. Um, thank you for coming in, Chris. Very happy to. It's not very far to Collingwood. Great. Um, so, Chris, you've been um, publishing poetry all your life, haven't you? Well, nearly all. Nearly all your <laughs> not, life. not in my childhood. Okay. So tell me, um, when did you first start publishing poetry? A bit, a bit after I'd begun in, in a sci- with a scientific sort of job and technical. Okay. And, and then had six months in the Air Force. Right. Mm. So um, uh, what... What kind of year was that? Was it the 1950s or...? It was the uh, early 1960s. Early mm. 1960s, okay. Great. Mm. And um, so uh, you have then um, have been publishing poetry all your life. Um, roughly how many books have you, have you published? Um, it might be up to about 20. Right. Some right. of them overlap with one another, like... Uh, the, the uh, new and selected poems, yes. mm. and um, and you've been published in translation as well. Yes, yes, and and, um, and you're quite often published in England, I think. Yes, well, my uh, my steadiest publisher, in a way, at present is is Carcanet uh, in England. Carcanet took over when Oxford University Press fell over a brick and broke its leg. Mm. What a shame. <laughs> well, lucky Carcanet was yeah. there to pick up uh, where they left off. And, um, and, and in Australia, um, published by various organisations. Now, your most recent book is Rondo, and uh, that was published uh, in late 2018. That's right, yes. And that's with Carcanet. Yep. And it, it represents um, a collection of work from how many years? It's always hard to tell because some of the poems weren't picked up by the previous book and straggle on, but uh, probably mostly about six years. Right, that's great. And, I mean, you've been working as a poet your whole life. How did you, how did you do that? How did you, how did you have a career as a poet? I mean, My father was a journalist, so I was brought up with words um, and... Uh, he ha- he had some memory of popular poetry and things he'd le- learned at school and he'd written a bit of poetry. But uh, when I went left school and uh, looked for a job in the wide wide world, first of all, I worked in a an office in town. Then I had six months in the air force at Laverton, a national in the national service training scheme. And then I came up to Melbourne University part-time. I had a clerical job with the public service by then. Uh, But I'd met a number of people who were word people who wrote. And they inspired you. Yes, and we bounced off one another, you know, we'd show one another new poems. That's nice. Mm. And um, are any of those uh, 
poets that um, I might have heard of? Uh, Philip Martin, the late Philip Martin, was one of them. Evan Jones, who's still around but not, I think, writing, he was another. And, and Oh, and Graham Kemmelfield, who was a wonderfully inspiring uh, friend. Right. And, I mean, I think friendships in the poetry world are really central to um, poetic writing. Um, and I remember you were very close to Peter Porter, isn't it? That's right, uh, over, over the years. First of all, I met up with him when he came back to Australia for the first time in 20 years and we met in Sydney and we got on well. And then the next couple of times I came to England... I spent some time with him and we organised poetry events between ourselves and so on. So, uh, and um, I'm still in close contact with his widow. Oh, that's great. Okay, so I thought we uh, might have two sections to this program. And the first section, um, I invite you to read some poems from um, the New and Selected. Um, which was originally published by Oxford University Press before it was pub- before it was taken over by Carcanet, and then um, before the publication was taken over by Carcanet, and then we go to some poems from Rondo. So, what would you like to read uh, from the new and selected? Uh, perhaps I'll read a poem in a very traditional form, the, the uh, Villanelle, uh, because it also plays with the voice you have as a self who's a self in engaging in the poetry. And uh, this one is connected with teaching classes poetry as well as writing it. And it's called Dear Class. We are all floundering somewhat in the dark. Whatever English wants from you or me, it can't be your genius that I mark. Stumbling around like beasts on board the ark, slowly getting used to a wine-dark sea, we're all floundering somewhat in the dark. I take a red pen, then I make my mark reproving syntax, pith or fluency. It just can't be your genius that I mark. In fact, my bite is no worse than my bark. Write sweetly. Emulate the honeybee. We're all floundering somewhat in the dark. You may be born to music like the skylark or grind out narrative relentlessly, but it won't be your genius that I mark. A teacher is a licensed kind of narc barking, do this, do that, intrusively. Since it can't be your genius that I mark, we're all floundering somewhat in the dark. Beautiful. Very clever. That form of the villanelle with the repeating lines, you know, each one has a different meaning in a different context. Mm. it's It's a clever structure. And, and tell me about your teaching career. Um, where have you been teaching uh, over the years? I began for a couple of years at Haileybury College down at Brighton and then I got a tutorship at Melbourne University and began teaching there. Then I got a scholarship to uh, Harvard in the United States. Oh, very nice. And, uh, and you did, which degree did you do at Harvard? I didn't. I was a visiting professor. Sorry. Uh, there were two visits to the United States. Right. There was one to Yale and one to Harvard. Amazing. That's right. Brilliant. They were both in the northeast corner of the United States. Yeah. Reaching as close as we we could get to Europe. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but they were very they're very good universities, of Yale course. and Harvard, and yeah. they were well looked after by colleagues yes. in both places and wonderful supported. Yeah. Mm. 
And um, and so, but you've also continued teaching here. I mean, now you are um, in your eighties. I'm afraid so. <laughs> but I think you're still teaching sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Well. Yes. I've got uh, two or three PhD students still. Amazing. And they're at Melbourne, are they? They're at Melbourne. Great. Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. Oh, it's it's very pleasant still to be able to do it. Yes. It's it's most impressive. It's better than my pet, my tennis. <laughs> and uh, so the PhDs are in the creative writing program, are they? Yes. Right. Amazing. Oh, not entirely. Uh, partly, they're on the brink. Some there's a fair bit of creative writing work, but some uh, a mixture of creative writing and critical critical responses to the work of poets. Okay. Right. Good. Well, what poem would you like to share next? From the earlier book? Mm. Yes. Here's one called The Inheritance, because as a writer in a new world country like Australia or New Zealand or Canada, you're always responding to the literature of your own country, but also to the older literature of Britain, let alone, let alone what the Romans and Greeks did. But anyway, this is called The Inheritance. And uh, The Inheritance in particular is the English language. Dunked into life, a squalling brat aping the role of perfect child, I let this language buoy me up. Shock troops, lightly graduated, nasty, nice, nectarine, nasturtium, noun. The stuff was rich as mother's milk. I couldn't see it didn't fit, making it do so anyway, eliding what was grossly wrong. Origins prove nothing, said William James. I romped round discourse in my room, only devouring foreign books, northern, that is, containing heath, lorries, wolves, bobbies and snow. The signified was quite inadequate, a mere Australia. City fathers had long conspired with empire speak by cancelling native foliage. So every winter, English buds flashed into fluffy, pastel bloom again. As cunning as a leaning dunny, this international currency parades its virtue in old rhymes, womb after tomb, as death with breath. We swim along with it. We swim and drown. Yes, yes. There's so much in in our language, and I've often wondered if they were accidental rhymes, womb and tomb, you know. Yes, they go a long way back. Right, yeah. Hadn't thought about the coincidence of death and breath, <laughs> but uh, do you think there's some? It's worth, it's worth thinking about. <laughs> <laughs> mm. They're Anglo-Saxon words, right? Yes, and I mean, in our lifetimes, Australian English has um, achieved a much greater um, value than it had, you know, in earlier decades. You know, the Australian voice and Australian playwrights and so on. Correct, yes. I mean, um, there was very much more derivative of English culture when when I was young in, say, the 60s or 70s, but uh, you would have seen it even change even more deeply. That's right. And uh, uh, not not an important cause, but something that symbolises this is how um, important Australian literature and Australian history have become as school and university subjects. 
Um, and it just generally in terms of, say, other poets and fiction writers writing in the present, is there anyone that you particularly enjoyed uh, in recent years? Well, among my contemporaries, um, uh, Les Murray and Peter Porter have always been uh, very strong and had a strong relation with me. Um, but but I came to Australian p- poetry particularly through an earlier generation, above all through Judith, R- Judith Wright and her assimilation of the Australian landscapes of many kinds and the way in which they express the condition of her personality and at the state of life. And Kenneth Slesser, who had his feet deeper in history, Australian history. Yes, yes. Well, great writers all. We might just go to some music. listening to the 3CR Spoken Word Program. Um, my name is Di Cousins and today I'm talking to the poet Chris Wallace Crabb and we just heard um, the tune From a Dream uh, in the CD Gregorian Brothers uh, by the Gregorian Brothers called Distance. Um, so friendship is always a very important part of poetry life 
And um, absolutely, yes. So you've got a poem there about Peter Porter and Arthur Boyd. And I wrote that. It's called "You Too," <laughs> two with a W, not with two O's. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, and they're two um, people older than myself who've had a great influence, one way or another, on the kind of art I practice. Yes, and the ki- kinds of ways, varied ways, of looking at our country. And I wrote it as though it was a letter to Peter Porter in particular. Great. Would you like to read that? Yes. Dear Peter, who were you, I wondered back then. Arthur was quite another deal. Blonde hills and monsters and stumpy trees. He felt familiar, but you in those days registered sheer London. Once bitten, you always had that sweet and sour taste. Your poems teased me with Jacobean jaggedness, while Ron Simpson, on his return from grey thereness, was reporting most ardently on you. Soon we both appeared with painters in a Duttonish series. Then I read The Great Artist Comes South in Winter. It could have been Arthur, whose hospitality I was to know at both ends of the painted story, from Murrumbina to Leaf Mustard Bundanon. But hang on, Peter, you began to fly homeward, and we started seeing you on both sides of the planet. Palm Australian or the Aussie Londoner, all the more so when your daughters landed here. I locate your voice again, Shiraz in hand, under exotic trees in that concrete beer garden of the railway. As you said, poetry is less like painting than music is. Unicorns or not, Arthur was feeding upon the wide shoalhaven, overhung with ridges, all a potter in that paint-smeared studio adjacent to leaf-scratching bowerbirds. Onward, you wrote then, oracular fabulous, filling our bookshelves in between Pope and Pound, bringing your plangent pleasures into our lives, as Arthur did with his paddocks and beasts. Both of you matter so much. As ever, Chris. No, oh, it's a beautiful eulogy. Yeah, very evocative, and uh, I like the sense of place with uh, Arthur Boyd's mm. studio by the railway tracks. It's uh, right. it, it's very vividly conjured. And uh, we're looking at your new book, Rondo, um, now, which is available from Orkle Bookstores. Um, now, some of your poems are. Um, abstract or about all sorts of different things but some of your poems are about things that are very close and personal to you and there's one there I noticed which is about your partner of 20 years Um, and it's after Thomas Hardy how do you mean it's after Thomas Hardy? Uh, Thomas Hardy wrote a great many poems that were about the past within his own life and about what happened a few years ago about feelings about others very backward-looking he was, inventive with his verse forms, but backward-looking in his uh, life-telling. And so does the verse form also reflect uh, a precedent from Thomas Hardy, or is it...? It it looks a bit like uh, the verse forms of some of Hardy's poems with shorter and longer lines alternating, but the pattern being similar stanza to stanza. Great. All right. Would you like to read that one? Good oldish poem after Thomas Hardy. 
In that crowding party, long decades back it must have been, you with another husband, no more than a visitor there with no paint under your nails, it was said. At that shouldering party, painters and poets drank along in the colours of merriment, none of us knowing then how the seeds of our future were there, biding their time. At the front-lit party, your beauty was quite clear, even then. But in some graver vein, three of my friends laughed along who have now been tucked away darkly. He, then he, now he. How long ago that party planted your soul in my soil, dearest, who have now grown all to me. If they ever open me up, your laughing face will be seen in colour, printed on my heart. Oh, that's so beautiful. Really very, very beautiful. And it is it is an extraordinary thing to find the seeds of things in the past. Yes, absolutely. Because we don't know how, you know, what, what's important, what, you know, moment changes everything. Exactly, exactly. So. You know, and... It's often bewildering. You think, I mean, I, I love that um, film, even though it had Gwyneth Paltrow in it, Sliding Doors, because in one has two parallel stories, one she catches the train and one she doesn't catch the train. Ah, right. And the world changes depending yes. on whether she catches the train. And I always feel that's such a true thing about life. Yep. Yeah. Uh, have to watch who gets on in, in, in your compartment on the train. <laughs> yes. Uh. Anyway, so um, where would you like to go next? I'll go to a very different kind of poem from the book. Perhaps I might read a poem that came from an explicit invitation. I was invited to write a poem in honour of Shakespeare after 400 years. And I wrote this tribute. But to control the tribute, I wrote it as a sonnet. Because once you start talking about Shakespeare, you could go on forever. Yes. After 400 years, our words are drowsing, flat now on the page, but yours take on exuberant lives as they cavort, then grin, or break hearts on a stage as wide as the world is. Buds of May, Master Shakespeare, far off south down here, should I compare you to the seasons then and to our multicoloured atmosphere? You devised all these maidens and those men, Falstaff, Juliet, Lear or Prospero, you dreamt them up and launched them on the boards, alive with every hue from long ago. It's amazing what you built with words. Where wombats graze or politicians swerve, your plays play still. In verity and verve. Yes, well, he always deserves the homage, doesn't he? It's such a, I mean, such a master of form and you know plays and sonnets and human variety and and understanding, you know, the power and politics and history of his time and earlier times. Yeah, even understanding war. Mm. Yes. So, tell me about uh, Robert Browning at Bundanon. Two things about that. I, uh, I had a um, writing fellowship at that uh, lovely sequestered uh, uh, writer's refuge, writer's um, thinking place in central New South Wales, Bundanon, 
And um, when I was there, I thought about Robert Browning himself and what he made of living in Italy. And it also picked up the fact that at school, Robert Browning was one of the poets we read who first felt, well, he was 19th century, but he also felt very modern. He made the language bounce along and put all sorts of different things in it. And so it's a tribute to him, imagining him as he went to Italy, coming all the way to New South Wales. Yes, I mean, and some people did, you know, uh, like Charles Darwin came to Australia. Of I course. Mean, you know, da- uh, Lawrence, what was his first name? D.H. Lawrence. D.H. Lawrence, yes, he came to Australia. Yes, yeah. absolutely, yeah. and wrote Kangaroo as a result yes, of it. Yes, So please read Robert Browning at Bundanon. There's a kookaburra chortling, so I think it's time for tea. That's a cup in bed for you then, and another one for me. We'll have a day devoted to creative enterprise, you exploring with a paintbrush, and after several tries, I could come up with something. Not quite burned out, after all. Might hatch a crafty lyric, handling chaos and man's fall, but locating this among the valley's kangaroos and cows with a special spot for wombats. Around the lower boughs, fantails are finding insects. Swallows fossick for their food. Business bastards keep insisting profit is the only good. Ogoluppi's out of fashion. Philip Glass is all the go. But any income from our art seems incrementally slow, poet or painter. How the brangus bellow there, wanting hay forked out for breakfast in the dewy atmosphere. Who was it, I wonder, first contrived the electric fence those cattle keep away from? They're not entirely dense. Nor am I, one keeps on hoping, though absurdly out of date, with a weather eye for verse forms, fanciful and intricate. What will we do with the mystical? A question for us all. In an age way past King Arthur, Joan of Arc and bold Ben Hall, when the shadows of religion are like bird calls in the bush and mammon jingles loudest. There's a wattle bird now. Whoosh. Fabulous, fabulous. Yes, well, and what a, what a great conceit to imagine uh, uh, Robert Browning in, in Australia. I mean, that's right, you know, yes. Yeah. Okay, well, I think that's all we've got time for. Um, I've been speaking to Chris Wallace-Crabb and we're looking at the new book, Rondo. Um, So uh, are you reading anywhere uh, in the coming months or...? London and Manchester. Oh, really? When when are you going? On May Day. Oh, right. (laughs) Great. Oh, that'll be a lot of fun. I hope so. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for coming in. It's been great to see you, Chris. Thank you very much. Great. This has been the 3CR Spoken Word Program. My name's Di Cousins and I was speaking to Chris Wallace-Crabb about his new book, Rondo. You can hear the 3CR Spoken Word Program every Thursday morning at 9am and later on on the website 3cr.org.au slash spoken word.